Acts chapter 9, verse 6, beginning with the word Arise, through the end of verse 19. Arise, and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise. And go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must Suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days (coughs) with, with the disciples at Damascus. Amen. Thus ends this reading of God's own word. Please be seated. The Holy Spirit is giving us uh, in this passage has been has been giving us an account of the calling of Saul, uh, known uh, by also and especially to us by his Greek name Paul. Uh, as the last apostle. Uh, And what we saw last week was that as the Lord was bringing Paul into his ministry, uh, the first two things he did was he brought Paul, especially under uh, his word. And his word, uh, as uh, spoken to him, not only directly, which if we read the, uh, the rest of Acts, and especially Paul's letters, we find that the Lord Jesus did a fair amount to 
but modeling for us uh, what it is like when the Lord calls us uh, into this new life that he has uh, given us as new people in Jesus Christ, uh, and particularly into a new uh, ordained work for those uh, who enter into um, uh, in, into church office, who are called and uh, graced and gifted and ordained uh, to be elders or deacons in the church of Christ, uh, how the Lord brings them uh, into that. And the first part is to be subjected to his word, uh, that uh, we are under not just the authority of Christ generally, but very specifically, uh, we are dependent upon and uh, must believe what the Lord Jesus teaches in his word uh, and obey what he commands. Uh, the next thing that we considered last uh, Lord's Day was that uh, the apostle is one who is under authority, uh, that in the church of the Lord Jesus he has designed that there wouldn't be an increasing hierarchy of individual men, but that those whom he called would be uh, submitted to the other elders uh, whether in the other elders in their congregation uh, or uh, in their presbytery, and then when a, when a synod or council uh, is gathered, uh, uh, even to one another there. Uh, and uh, we considered briefly how uh, that's the case, not only uh, with uh, this uh, Pharisee suddenly having to not only receive the word of God from, but have hands uh, laid on him for his uh, ordination uh, by uh, a man who just a few days earlier would have been one of the ones he despised the most, uh, and uh, how the Lord humbles us, uh, and the necessity for that um, uh, we see in First Peter 5, where that apostle calls himself a fellow elder, uh, and we see also in uh, the... Uh, gathering of the apostles and elders uh, who are on the same uh, footing, as it were, uh, in Acts chapter 15, uh, and so forth. Uh, and uh, this is something that you may have seen, if you have seen uh, and attended a worship service in which uh, commissioning and vows of uh, ordination and installation were taking place uh, for elders or deacons, uh, there will have been a sermon, uh, not just because it's good to have preaching, it is good to have preaching, uh, but all of us must be brought under the word of God uh, so that we will look to Christ as the one who has spoken sufficiently. Uh, he's given us what we need in his word. That's why you hear a sermon uh, when there's uh, an ordination. Uh, people sometimes uh, attend uh, these things and they have a sense that there is a tradition here uh, and they're concerned that we would follow traditions. And uh, traditions are just things that you've done more than once. Uh, in fact, sometimes you'll uh, attend something and you'll hear the phrase first annual. Uh, okay. Uh, the question is not, is it a tradition? Uh, the question is, is it from the Bible? Uh, and uh, the reason why you have that preaching, uh, the reason why you have a smaller sermon, uh, and you may have heard it called the charge, uh, 
uh, in which a, uh, an elder or a minister will uh, read to the person who is coming into ministry uh, a portion of scripture and make pointed application to that person. That's a mini sermon for him showing that he is under the word of God. Uh, and, uh, and then you will also have the laying on of hands uh, as the person is brought into their office, indicating that there is this authority that extends not from the men who lay on the hands because hands were laid on them. And we made reference to this in uh, uh, in First Timothy uh, with what uh, what the apostle was saying to that elder uh, and reminding him of how he was brought into his ministry. And he is not saying, "Be faithful to those elders who laid hands on you and invested you with this authority." No, he's saying, "Be faithful to the Lord Jesus who invested this authority." through the laying on of hands uh, that were laid upon you, just as hands had been laid upon those elders as well. Uh, Now, uh, so we have those two things, and the two things that uh, remain in in, uh, uh, at least how we are uh, drawing the truth from this passage is to see uh, that the Apostle Paul was being brought under also Jesus's plan. Uh, The Apostle Paul was being brought under Jesus's plan. uh, And then in the second place, that he was being brought under Jesus's grace, uh, that he was being brought under Jesus's grace. Uh, We see this also uh, in if you go to an ordination service or if you attend to uh, attend a work uh, happen to attend a worship service in which there's an ordination there's a specific ministry uh, that the uh, elders of the church have recognized through biblical means that that specific person is called to uh, and so uh, your elders for instance Uh, have uh, or ought to have, and the Lord blessing his words to us even now by his spirit, we are being strengthened in having a sense that this is the place where the Lord has called us to minister. And these are the people of the Lord uh, whom he has prepared us to serve uh, and uh, uh, whom he has prepared to be served by us. Uh, And there's great purpose, as we'll see, uh, and even comfort and strengthening uh, and diligence and zeal that comes from being given that glimpse of Christ as the one who has chosen your service for you. Uh, But he doesn't just bring us under his plan. He brings us under his grace. He is the one who who sustains us, who gives us uh, all that we need, body and soul, for all of the ministry to which uh, we are called. And just as we did last week, uh, keep in mind that every one of you have a role to which he has called you. Uh, every one of you is a, uh, a creature, uh, and every believer is uh, not just a neighbor to, uh, to those around him in the world, but a brother or a sister uh, to those in a congregation. Uh, and your specific congregation appointed in God's providence to you uh, as 
uh, 1 Corinthians 12 describes uh, when he's talking about how individuals within a congregation think about themselves in relation to others and others in relation to themselves. He says God has arranged the members of the body as he chooses. Uh, so as we consider being brought under his plan, uh, you need not, you mustn't just think of your uh, elders and deacons and prospective elders and deacons and ministers whom we hope the Lord uh, will uh, call our sons to be as he uh, works in their lives and sanctifies them and gifts them, um, but you must think of yourself in all of your several uh, callings. Even children, your obedience uh, to your parents is in the Lord. He picked your parents for you. Uh, and uh, and that is uh, the current place of your obedience and fathers and husbands and um, wives and mothers and, uh, and so forth. Um, but here we have specifically uh, the bringing, uh, the Lord Jesus bringing Paul into his ministry and uh, showing him not only that he is brought under Christ's word and Christ's authority uh, as uh, not only directly from the Lord Jesus, but as proclaimed uh, to him uh, by others and uh, uh, as uh, recognized in him uh, by others, but also now that he is brought under his plan and under his grace. Uh, and of course, when we realize what the Lord has called us to, we ask, as, the, uh, uh, as this apostle does in another place, who is sufficient for such things? It was hard enough when I thought I just had to keep them fed alive and trained well enough that they could keep another set fed and alive uh, by the time they left my house as a parent. But when you realize these are the Lord's children whom they have appointed to me to minister to them uh, the means of his grace, uh, and we've already started to give it away, right? Uh, through which he will bring them to faith in Christ, through which he will build them up in Christ, then we say, as many of us uh, say with different words perhaps, but still the same question many times a day, with our children, who is sufficient for such things? Well, then we give the same answer as the apostle gives, uh, not too many verses later. Our sufficiency is of God. Our sufficiency is of God. And that's why there's prayer. And that's why there's baptism. Uh, uh, as we'll see uh, with the apostle here. And that's why uh, uh, God helping uh, those uh, who have... Uh, presided over and led uh, whatever worship services that you might have attended in which ordination vows were being taken or installation vows were being taken, there must have been prayer, uh, recognizing that there's only sufficiency for this ministry from God. Um, so, uh, brought uh, under his plan, uh, we pick up, uh, in uh, the Lord Jesus answering Ananias. Ananias, of course, uh, being instructed by the Lord and under the authority uh, of the Lord, who is very patient with him uh, in his protest 
He ends that protest in verse 14. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Uh, and just now, the first part of uh, of that answer, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. Uh, the Lord is not just reminding, uh, or not just instructing Ananias uh, about uh, it being okay to, to go and, and uh, interact with Saul of Tarsus and uh, don't worry, you're not going to be uh, hauled off to be executed like others have been. Um, uh, that's not the only thing he's doing to Ananias here. He's reminding Ananias that he too is a chosen vessel of Christ's. Uh, vessels don't get to make decisions. Uh, we saw before the uh, the aspect of uh, the, the ministry of the deacons as they uh, oversaw the, the uh, ministry in material things of the church and that the uh, authority over that part of the church's ministry to one another uh, in particular, and of course all of that offered unto God, um, we, we saw the picture of uh, table waiters. They used a word for service that was, uh, and they uh, applied it to serving tables. Uh, well, there's a sense in which uh, if you're going to talk about the uh, the deacon as the waiter, uh, the language that's used here uh, of the minister of the word for uh, Paul uh, is actually even lower. They're not just waiters, they're vessels, cups, pitchers. Uh, I've heard before, and it's it's an apt illustration uh, that ministers should not think of themselves as chefs, but waiters. Christ has prepared the food in the Bible uh, and the sermon is not the meal. The Bible is the meal. Christ himself and what he has written in the scripture uh, and that the, the preacher needs just to be a good table waiter, uh, make sure that he has delivered the food in a... In a uh, presentable, accessible way to the table so that the people may eat. Uh, well, that's all good and well, uh, and it's a good illustration for what it is, but the illustration here before us now by the Holy Spirit is not the minister as the table waiter, it's uh, the minister as the platter in the waiter's hand uh, that, that he is just a vessel. Uh, in fact, uh, the Apostle Paul will use uh, this language about himself in Second Corinthians chapter 4 when he is explaining why he doesn't attempt to minister in such a way that is, uh, uh, you know, what we might call over-engineered and, uh, or well-marketed to, to use, to mix metaphors. And he just plainly speaks the truth. Uh, and we've made reference to that many times because of how glorious literally it is that he who spoke light into darkness is the one who uses the plain explaining of what the Bible says to make the light of the knowledge of the glory of God to shine in people's hearts in Christ Jesus. 
uh, in the face of Christ Jesus, Second uh, Corinthians 4. And then a couple of verses down, he says, therefore, we have this treasure, the treasure of knowing the glory of God, knowing that Jesus is God, that you can see in the face of Jesus. Now, by faith, you don't know what he looks like. We love him whom we have not seen. But, but one day you will see physically his face, who is God the Son in his human nature. And you will lay eyes on him. And, uh, and one of the jobs, as it were, of ministers of the word, of elders, as we teach and preach the word of God, of husbands, as you bathe your wife with the word of God, uh, and fathers, as you instruct your children, and mothers, as you instruct your children, and all of the members of the body, as we speak the truth in love. We can't go back and, and build all of that again uh, from, from last week's opening up of the passage. One of our jobs is to be unimpressive is to be an earthen vessel so that it will be seen that all of the glory belongs to God in Christ Jesus. That what would be impressive would not be the presentation or the presenting of it, but the thing that is presented. The word of God, generally speaking, yes. But here... He's not just a vessel, not just an earthen vessel, but here's what he's carrying. As a minister of the word, and we can go to um, the uh, um, Acts chapter 20 when he's talking to the Ephesian elders and saying earlier in the passage, he has withheld nothing that is profitable, and so he's innocent of their blood. Uh, then he, he tells them that they need to proclaim the whole counsel of God uh, later in that passage uh, in, in Acts chapter 20. Uh, and uh, there's a question among uh, ARP ministers this week, uh, which are we supposed to do? Uh, and often when you have that question, you're presented with two options and it's both and, not either or. Are we supposed to preach the gospel or are we supposed to preach the whole counsel of God? Uh, and... Uh, Someone just quoted from the form for the ordination service uh, that uses both in a sentence and says, if you're not preaching the whole council, it implies uh, by combining the two, if you're not proclaiming the whole counsel of God, you're not proclaiming the gospel. And if you're not proclaiming the gospel, you're definitely not proclaiming the whole counsel of God. Uh, and the, the two go together, as the Lord Jesus said, it is them. It is they, the scriptures that speak of me. And then you look at the scriptures and they're full of all manner, all different kinds of instruction in which Christ is proclaimed to us. Uh, and so the spirit here or uh, to us in the recording of it and the Lord Jesus uh, to Ananias says, he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name. To bear my name, that is what the vessel is supposed to be uh, carrying. That's what's in the picture. That's what's on the platter, is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is the Lord, the living God, who is one. And yet he has now revealed himself as having that name into which Jesus commanded that we be baptized. 
So God has revealed himself to us in Christ. And if we have seen the Son, we have seen the Father. And the Spirit is not just the Spirit of the Father, but also the Spirit of the Son. And he affirms that to us when he commands that we be baptized in the name of, and it's not names there in Matthew 28, it's singular, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the one name into which we are baptized. But then we have the, this other language that we use, calling upon the name of the Lord, or the Lord Jesus, or the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the name that Paul was supposed to bear, which was the name that he hated. You remember uh, what, uh, what Ananias has just finished saying in verse 15. Here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. All who say, the Lord is Jesus. The one God of Deuteronomy 6 has become a man who died for our sins and rose again. And we know his name is Jesus. The Lord who is the creator of all things who his name, his special covenant name that he gave to his people is I am that I am, that he has all existence in himself and none of us have existence without him because he created us and he's the one who sustains us and he put that in his name, that he has all existence in himself and all power in himself and all goodness in himself. We are dependent. He is independent. We are creature. He is creator. The Lord is Jesus. And the name Jesus is because he saves his people. The Lord, and they would have been reading Greek copies of the Old Testament where they wouldn't have it like we do sometimes where it says Yahweh in the Hebrew. And so if you have an English translation, it's all caps in your English. They would have just had kurios and the same uh, letters, this is the Greek word for Lord, uh, and, uh, and they would have known what an amazing thing it is, and it was the amazingness of it uh, that uh, had made Paul the blasphemer and chief of sinners, right? Because he hated the name of Jesus and the idea that Yahweh had become a man. But that's what he is to bear now, uh, that... Uh, that Yahweh saves, which is what Jesus is. It's a contraction uh, of those words. Uh, and that it was God himself who would be the prophet that Moses had said would come. That God would raise up a prophet from among them who is greater than Moses. The, the, at the end of Moses' life and ministry, he basically said, you know, the, the sum of my ministry, the, the point of my ministry to you was to get you ready for the prophet that's coming, uh, which made it so, um, so, uh, so ironic, if I'm probably using the word incorrectly, uh, but you know what I mean. We all use it incorrectly. Uh, so ironic that, uh, that uh, when the prophet came, they were like, he's speaking against Moses. And wasn't that Stephen's entire sermon? No, actually, Moses told you to listen to him uh, so that God would come and be a man and be that prophet. And God would come and be a man, not from the line of Levi, but from the line of Judah with a priesthood that would actually bring an end 
to priests coming out of the line of Levi only or of, uh, or high, uh, high priests from the line of Aaron. But now all who are in Christ have a priesthood that is participatory in the single great forever high priesthood of Jesus. God became a man to be that prophet. God became a man to be that priest. God became a man to be the son of David. And all of these anointings, these ordained offices, uh, prophet, priest, and king. Uh, the word for anointing uh, you is the Hebrew basis of what we anglicize as Messiah, which translates into Greek and something that we anglicize as Christ. And you know those words, don't you? And so when you say Lord Jesus Christ, you are summarizing the truth of the entire Bible. The truth of the Old Testament is the Lord alone is God and he is saving sinners. And the truth of the New Testament is Jesus alone is the savior of sinners. and He is God in the flesh. And so it's, it's, it's really the, when he says he's a vessel to bear my name, there's a, there's a zeroing in and a focus on what the sum teaching of the whole Bible is. That is uh, Jesus' plan for Paul, that he would be an earthen vessel and that he would really get dinged up along the way uh, towards the end of 2 Corinthians when, when Paul is um, arguing against the false apostleship of those who the... Uh, the, the Corinthians have allowed themselves to get sucked in by and, uh, and he uh, talks about himself being a true apostle. Uh, one, of the, um, one of the main things that he, uh, he talks about is that he has suffered many things and he starts to give them a list uh, of what he has suffered. But do you think he's giving that list in grumbling or complaining, or polishing his star. Look how wonderfully I have done in suffering all these things. No, he's basically saying, uh, in retrospect at that point, what the Lord Jesus is saying in prospect at this point. That what God has planned for Paul is a specific uh, ministry bearing his name uh, through specific difficulties how many things he must suffer. Uh, so uh, he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles. Um, Paul uh, preaches in the synagogues at Damascus. He's, uh, he's quickly identified as an enemy. Uh, we'll hear more about that later. He goes down to Jerusalem where he's quickly identified uh, in his home church and uh, perhaps other uh, synagogues. Uh, as um, uh, as uh, an enemy, uh, he is exiled, as it were, uh, to Tarsus. Uh, the there's church. Uh, uh, the church starts to spread. It goes to Antioch. There are a bunch of people that get converted at Antioch. Barnabas is there. Uh, how are we going to teach? Uh, all of these new Christians, uh, all about Jesus and what to believe about him and how to love and obey and serve him. How are we going to teach all of them from the Bible? He says, oh, I remember God had called this man that knows the Bible 
better than almost anyone on earth, perhaps better than anyone on earth at the time. And the Lord Jesus had shown him and made him a vessel for the bearing of his name. And here we are in a Gentile place, Antioch. Uh, and uh, Barnabas goes and he gets uh, Saul, also called Paul, and he brings him to Antioch. And he starts to minister there. And what do you think Paul is thinking at the time? He's thinking, Jesus told me that I would bear his name to Gentiles, to the nations. Here we are in, uh, in a church uh, where there are a bunch of Gentiles. His assignment to me is these people. And then when he's brought before uh, King Herod at his trial, or perhaps later, uh, out, uh, after the, the close of the book of Acts, uh, giving testimony before Caesar himself. He remembers Jesus assigned kings to him. Uh, when he goes into synagogues uh, and preaches and, and gets uh, tossed out or even stoned, uh, and the reason the stoning stops is because they think it was successful, they leave him for dead, uh, and then he, he gets up and gets ready for the next ministry. And that was what was assigned to him. It's Jesus' plan. It's Jesus' plan. Uh, Jesus has specifically assigned him those who would hear him. And so he has to you. This should be uh, very thrilling and encouraging to you, uh, whether we're talking about uh, talking to each other uh, at home. Jesus has assigned your brothers and sisters to you, children. He wants your his word and his name to be in your mouth to them. And Jesus has assigned your children to you, parents. Jesus has assigned the other church members to you. Uh, my dear eyeballs and noses and ears uh, to use uh, some of, none of which are particularly attractive, right? Uh, but uh, which are some of the, uh, the pictures in the body metaphor that the apostle by the spirit uses. In 1 Corinthians 12, he's assigned the different joints of each congregation to be connected to and interdependent upon uh, the, the strength of one another. It would have been greatly strengthening and encouraging to Paul as he went from Gentiles or in front of kings or uh, spoke to even the children of Israel in the various synagogues that Jesus said he would bear his name in this place. And uh, Jesus is the one who would do the saving. Uh, nobody knew this more than, than Saul of Tarsus. He certainly didn't think he had saved himself. He certainly didn't think Stephen had saved him. It's been a, a while now since he uh, uh, held the coats while Stephen's murderers killed him. Uh, and it didn't do him any good until Jesus addressed him from heaven. Uh, and so uh, he knew that it was Jesus's job to do the saving, but that every moment in his life was an assignment from Jesus to bear his name. At least on your life, and as you discern opportunity, also on your lips. Remember, we talked about that not too long ago when we were thinking about the, the third commandment and what that means for us and how we live and, and how we speak uh, so that everywhere you go, 
and you run into people. You have, first of all, an obligation to live as someone upon whom the name of Christ has been placed. Because you don't know if God will give you opportunity, and you should be looking for opportunity to testify to your Creator and your Redeemer. Uh, you will, uh, if you ask the Lord to give you opportunity and to help you see it, uh, I suggest that you be prepared. In His providence, uh, He always seems to open our eyes, and it may just be that He's always doing it and we can't see it. Uh, but the Lord uh, brings us into contact with those either who are uh, converted and know his name and need the encouraging and, and strengthening that we are to do with one another in the word. Or he may be giving you the privilege of speaking his name uh, and behalf of his name uh, to someone who has never heard and whom he is bringing to himself. Or he may give you the privilege of testifying to his name in front of someone who is resisting and rebelling against him and before whom you will be an example of how merciful God is and how powerful God is to save, uh, and for which they will have to give an answer uh, in the last day. Uh, that's especially the context of the verse that we often hear quoted, always being ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. That's in the face of persecutors and accusers and magistrates who are condemning and punishing. Uh, that they would bring glory to Jesus for having heard his name from you. Uh, it's wonderfully freeing that we are only called to be faithful, uh, not fruitful. Uh, no one uh, hears uh, in the last day, well done, my good and successful servant. Uh, you hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Why? Because the fruit is given by God. Even when he gives much fruit, and it's a blessing to have fruit, right? We're, we're not hearing and reading into the Bible this idea uh, that, we, that, that lack of gospel success is something to be reveled in. To say, I was faithful and nobody got converted. Hooray. No. But when God gives the fruit... It's his fruit that he had planned. And he just appointed to you that particular moment of harvesting. And he might have appointed to you the planting and the watering to use the illustrations from the uh, early part of 1 Corinthians that the apostle uses there. Uh, but he has appointed to you what comes to you. And so uh, instead of uh, having a quota of productivity which we often feel like we have and is, is wrongly self-imposed. You know, the number uh, of people or, or how far along uh, my children uh, uh, are by now or whether or not they seem to have been brought to faith yet. And, uh, and we, we impose on ourselves the, the productivity. No, you're called to a principle of faithfulness and readiness. And it is... God's way to use those who are following in dependence upon him. But it's also a great mercy that our suffering, our suffering has been selected for us. 
every bit as much as every moment of your life and the context in which you find yourself and the people whom you encounter and you're watching for opportunities to bear the name of Jesus. And as you do so, you will suffer many things. But so that uh, Paul, or Saul as he's still being called uh, in this passage, would not be discouraged when he suffers many things because he is about to suffer many things immediately. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't get you know, the 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 uh, a warm up time. He's immediately uh, uh, opposed to his life. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know there was an exact number of things, an exact number of things that Paul was going to suffer. And everything that the Lord Jesus brought him through got him closer to the completion. Every one of those sufferings had been appointed to him. I trust that that that, that idea would be encouraging to you, dear believer, that the one who has redeemed you by his blood from the hell that you deserved, taking it upon himself, that the one who has called you to the specific time and place and interactions and role uh, in which you find yourself now and which you will find yourself in every moment until he takes you from this world, he has also appointed the exact number of things that you will suffer as you walk with him and depend upon him, as you serve him. The fact that he has, uh, has selected them for us uh, is one uh, uh, one encouraging and comforting thing. Uh, but in the last place, not only has he selected them for us, but he carries us through them. Remember in Romans 8, he uh, talks about uh, the uh, being glorified together with Christ if we suffer with him, inheriting together with him if we suffer together with him for a little while, in order to be glorified together with him. And how the present, the temporary light sufferings, he says this both in, uh, in Romans 8 and also to, um, uh, to the Corinthians, the, the present and light, uh, the temporary and light afflictions are not to be compared with the eternal weight of glory, the eternal weightiness, uh, heaviness of the glory that in one passage would be revealed to us and the other one revealed in us. And so that brings us in the second place, not just brought under his plan that Jesus is the one who's picked your ministry for you and Jesus is the one who's picked your sufferings for you and numbered them. And when you're done, you're done. It's over forever. But that Jesus is the one who sustains you in both the ministry and the suffering. One of the things that Jesus did for Paul as he was uh, bringing him not just to faith but into ministry was he impressed upon him how needy he was. At first, he spends the first three days of his Christian life blind. He opens his eyes. He doesn't see anything when he does receive his sight. uh, Something like uh, scales falls from uh, his eyes in verse 18. He makes him to know his extreme neediness. Paul was, as 
um, they're described uh, a seeing person his entire life up until these three days. He was not equipped to be blind. It wasn't like he was blind from birth and had gotten accustomed to it. He was immediately, desperately needy so that the Lord would, uh, would by those days even communicate to him how entirely dependent we are upon God. It's God who sustains light and God who designed your eyes and God who keeps your eyes working. Some of, uh, at least one of us, has recently gone through eye injury. Uh, The rest of us are still blissfully taking for granted how easily we see all the time. Some of us are getting old and can barely see the congregation because we need to be able to see the Bible and our notes. We're desperately needy. For the grace to fulfill our calling to serve the Lord Jesus well in those moments and those roles in which you find yourself in your life, you are as needy as a blind man. And any illusion of ability or independence of your own is just that. It's an illusion. It's a lie. And so one of the things that he makes known to Paul as he calls him as the extremity of his neediness. And then, of course, how continually needy he is. Uh, Verse 19, when he had received food. Well, why does verse 19 say um, uh, when he had received food, uh, he was strengthened uh, because he had been fasting for three days. And it just took those three days and he was weakened uh, by Uh, by his fasting. So uh, the Lord Jesus, of course, has uh, taught us to feel this even in that form of prayer that is a template or a model for all of our praying, that we would ask him for our bread daily. And so he teaches us that we have to pray daily uh, because you're going to eat, ask him again, another day, another prayer, Uh, and hopefully more often, uh, of course, even than that. So our continual neediness and our need for feeling neediness, which is part of the point of fasting. Uh, Paul is not eating or drinking. The Lord Jesus refers to his fasting as praying uh, in verse 11. Uh, He wasn't eating or drinking, verse 9, that's fasting, but uh, we know uh, uh, in God's good providence to us, having studied it recently in the Sabbath school, the fasting is joined to praying in the Bible. And that's how Jesus summarizes what Saul of Tarsus is doing at the end of verse 11. That's why if you have never fasted, not only are you not doing something that Jesus says those who follow him will do. He says, my disciples will fast when I'm gone. Well, Jesus is in heaven. Are you fasting? Do you fast? Not necessarily you fasting right this moment. Uh, But that fasting is joined to prayer. It's an expression of neediness in uh, in what we do and make ourselves to feel with our bodies, just as prayer is an expression of neediness with our lips. Isn't it strange that we... Well, I guess it's not strange because we have that sinful nature that opposes all the truth of God. Uh, But one of the ways that that fleshliness displays itself is when we're praying and we want to feel feel like we're praying sufficiently. Prayer itself is an expression of neediness. 
It's one of the reasons why we form our prayers uh, largely from the Bible, from the words of Jesus, uh, being taught how to pray like little children who need so many examples and instructions uh, as uh, as we grow and mature. And when you grow and mature in prayer, you don't feel like you're being successful in prayer. You feel like you are feeling needy. And those times in which we are thrown so greatly by the Holy Spirit upon uh, upon the mercy of God, upon the power of God, upon the wisdom of God. Uh, the old saints used to say, and, and some of them s- still do, and they say, I was much helped in prayer today. That even their expression of neediness was something that they couldn't produce themselves. But that God, using the means of his word over, uh, over the, all the time that they had been walking with him in this life, had, had come in that private worship or that family worship or the prayer meeting or the worship service. It had come by his spirit and had enabled them to to lay their selves, their hearts, their minds, their desires entirely upon God, expressing how we have nothing in ourselves and God has everything in Him and calling upon Him through Christ. That was one of the first experiences. That was an experience through which Paul was coming into his call as an apostle. The Lord Jesus started him in three days of fasting and prayer. Because it was his grace that would be sufficient for him. And it was a lesson that the apostle kept learning, evidently. Because, again, in that latter part of Second Corinthians, to which we were referring earlier, we have the passage about the thorn in the flesh. And Paul begging that it would be taken away. And the Lord Jesus assuring him that it was there on purpose because he needed to feel his neediness. So that he would rejoice only in the strength of Christ. That here my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So when the Lord calls us into our life as Christians and when we remember our calling as Christians and, and think about uh, our day-to-day and all the roles that he's given us, uh, we are not just to be brought under his word for our instruction and his uh, authority for our uh, accountability and um uh, and leadership and functioning uh, appropriately in the role that he has appointed and under his plan, knowing that everything that we come into has been selected for us and assigned to us uh, as uh, as both a privilege and a responsibility, but also under his grace, that he is the one who supplies the life and the power and the goodness and the wisdom and even the zeal. And so... Uh, he makes Paul to feel the extremity of his neediness, the, uh, how continually he is needy, and uh, gives him mechanisms by which uh, to feel not super spiritual, but super needy fasting and prayer. And of course, Christ has displayed to him as the sufficiency for all this need. Uh, you see the um, the parallel Verses 17 through 18. We know that more takes place here. The, this, this encounter is recounted twice again in Acts. Once in chapter 22, once in chapter 26. And uh, he says, be baptized and wash away your sins. That's part of what he says. Uh, I think that's from chapter 22. Uh, but now you see how uh, much I need to grow in my uh, comprehensive Bible knowledge. But 
Here he doesn't tell us about the wash away your sins line. Why? Because there's a parallel. that Baptism teaches and displays many things at once. And there's a parallel in verse 17 and verse 18 that that we are to see with respect to his baptism. So Ananias says uh, the, the portion that the Spirit records for us here is, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He is giving you sufficiency, that is. He is your sufficiency for the ministry to which you have been called and the suffering to which you have been called. And then the parallel to receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit at the end of verse 18 is, and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. Wait, there's an asymmetry. It's not perfectly parallel. Well, it sort of is. Because... The application of the water on earth is an image of what Jesus actually, genuinely, really does with his spirit from heaven. Remember, this has been said about Jesus from before his own baptism. That on earth we baptize with water, but he who was coming after John would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And we've seen... We can't take the time to see all those places now, but we've seen how that connection is made over and over again. And so Ananias says that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he arose and he was baptized. And we know, uh, or we assume, that it's with water, but also with the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Because what Ananias did with the water on earth, Jesus did with his spirit from heaven. And it wasn't the application of the water that was Paul's sufficiency for bearing the name of Jesus before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel and suffering so many things. It was that genuine reality of Christ giving his spirit by which Jesus made himself Paul's sufficiency for all of that ministry and all of that suffering. Your water baptism does not make Christ your sufficiency, but he has given it to you as a means so that as you remember, as you know, as you witness another one being baptized with water, and you see the reality of the water being applied on earth, the Holy Spirit blesses to you again, works in you again. The, the efficacy, the, the, the effectiveness of your baptism as he stirs up your, the, your faith in Jesus Christ and makes you to know of a certainty that God the Son has become a man who sits at the right hand of majesty and pours out his Holy Spirit and that his Holy Spirit is the one who gives you faith in Christ. His Holy Spirit is the one who enables you to serve Christ, who enables you to receive all of the moments of your life as assignments, enables you to endure the suffering and count it uh, something that, uh, that you are not even worthy of and rejoice that you've been given the privilege of suffering in Christ Jesus for a little while. Christ was Paul's sufficiency. Christ, uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit, was signified uh, in 
the baptism. That's how he would be able to fulfill that which he was being called to. You remember baptism being used in a similar way when at the end of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, they were told to repent and be baptized, not because the baptism saves them, but because as they believed in Jesus Christ, the baptism affirmed to them the reality from heaven that they were seeing signified upon themselves or receiving as signified upon themselves on earth. And all believers receive this spirit. Romans 8, verse 9 and verse 14. If one does not have the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And as many as are led by the spirit, these are the sons of God. Be very careful. There are believers out there who will tell you that there's such a thing as a believer, uh, someone who is saved but doesn't yet have the Holy Spirit. No, uh, Romans 8, verse 9 and 14, those things. All believers uh, have their sufficiency from Christ by the same Spirit who ministers Christ to them. And therefore, all believers are to receive this sign of baptism. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. The Spirit is unto us a Spirit of grace that is, in part, a Spirit who ministers to us and applies to us the power and life of Jesus. His grace is sufficient for us. His strength is made perfect in weakness. And that's why baptism is a sign of grace. It is not a display of yourself and your testimony. It is a testimony of Jesus that he is your sufficiency, that he is the one who sustains you in ministry and in suffering. So whatever role you are in, uh, in addition, and many of us are called uh, to, to many offices, but if you're a believer, you are at least in this office, disciple of Christ, member of his body, bearer of his name upon your life and in moments that have been assigned to you in his providence upon your lips. Every one of you who believe in Jesus That description applies to you. You have a great calling. Fulfill your calling as one who is under his word, who is under his authority, who is under his plan. Your moments, your interactions have all been assigned to you. Your sufferings also specifically assigned to you and especially who are under his grace. Christ himself is your sufficiency for all to which he has called you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray, first of all, for those who hear about these things and the idea of having a life that is joined to you Independence upon you sounds foreign to them because they have not turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus and become new people with a heavenly calling. And so we pray that what they have heard about God who became a man to save sinners, your spirit would use to give them faith in Jesus Christ who became a man to save sinners. And Lord, for all of those whom you have brought to faith, we pray that by the nourishing and strengthening of your word, your spirit would grow them now 
uh, and continue to grow them by this portion of your word that they have heard. Uh, Grow us by the grace of Christ. Grow us by the knowing of Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen.